0: Somebody, somebody asked after the first service if that was me in the water. It's not, by the way. Well, metaphorically it might be. We'll see. Hey, um, I just want to uh, let you know next Sunday uh, we have baptism. Um, it, it's going to be a great Sunday. We have a lot of people who have expressed a desire to be baptized, and I want to give you a chance to be a part of that. So if you have said yes to Jesus, uh, even if you said yes to Jesus during the worship service, um, your next obedient step is to be baptized, and we would love for you to do that. So immediately following the service, if you would just come down to the front, and if you would find Norflet, I think he's somewhere, maybe just snuck out, but anyway, you know who is, the guy that preaches, a little darker complexion than me, that guy, uh, he'll be down here. Find him, uh, he'll get you signed up, but we'd love for you to be a part of it. It's just going to be a great Sunday, next Sunday, as we um, just have a lot of people that want to be a part of that. Hey, we are jumping into, swimming into, diving into, falling into Jonah, a lot of ways I could say that, right? Uh, Yep, we're getting into Jonah, and I want to start by just kind of telling you, why did we call it Overboard? Why did we call the series Overboard? It's, it's kind of obvious, like there's this scene, right, where Jonah gets thrown off the boat and he's in the Mediterranean Sea, and so there's this man overboard. But really, what we wanted you to start to see as we go through this uh, exciting series is that when you read the book of Jonah, the, the different characters of the story, the, the responses of the people in the story, it is just it is a book full of extremes. There's this, there's this picture of, of God doing abundantly more than you would expect, that Jonah's response is more than you expect. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you read Jonah, and by the way, you can read Jonah in about seven minutes, so you should all take some time and read through Jonah, seven to ten minutes of reading. But next time you read it, just look for the word great. So think about it. Great means what? Extreme, overboard, over the top. So we have a great uh, fish. We have a great storm. We have Jonah's displeasure with God was great. There's this this picture of everything is great. Even the city of Nineveh is described as great. So we have this this story where it seems like everything is over the top. Everything is overboard. And I'm teaching through this story, and I want you to know that we are treating this story as a historical story document this is not a fairy tale this is not just a story that's told to make a point it's it's about a real person at a real point in time it's about God's people it's it's a historical document Now I know the story is wild and I know the story is crazy and and most of us know the story we probably grew up with it in one way or another even if you didn't grow up in the church you know the story about Jonah and the whale most people say well it's impossible How could a guy live for three days in the belly of a sea creature? And and I wanna just tell you that that's really irrelevant because if, if God decided to sustain Jonah in the belly of the whale, is God capable of doing that? Sure, of course he is. But you know, the scriptures never say that Jonah was alive all three of those days anyway. So if God decided to bring him back to life when he was spit out on the, on the shore, when the, when the whale vomited out, God's capable of that as well, right? But well, we know resurrection is, is part of the scriptures. We know about the, the, the son of the widow that was raised. We know about the little girl that Jesus raised. What about Lazarus? And what about Jesus himself? So, so if that's your hang up, if you're thinking to yourself, it's just, how could it be possible? I just want to encourage you to let go of that and to know that we understand that it takes faith to believe in this story. But, you know, it takes faith to believe in a lot of the stories of Scripture. But we know it's a historical document for a couple of reasons. One is that we see this guy named Jonah earlier in, in the Scripture. So in 2 Kings 14, it says, He, talking about King Jeroboam, restored the borders of Israel uh, from Lebanon all the way to the far sea of Araba, which is the Dead Sea, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, Son of Amate, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. So what that tells us? It tells us that Jonah really was a prophet. He came right after Elijah, Elijah, and then Jonah comes onto the scene. We see that he's really from a real place just outside of Nazareth, just a short little walk, as a matter of fact, from Nazareth. But we also know that Jesus spoke about Jonah. And he spoke about Jonah as a historical person, not as a fairy tale. So if you remember, he talked about how Nineveh responded to Jonah's words. And he was challenging the people he was talking to and saying, if, if you were like Nineveh, you would respond to all of the things I'm doing here. But just as Jonah, this is Jesus' words, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth. So Jesus speaks of him as a historical figure, so we should as well. So grab your Bibles, grab your readers, whatever you use to study. Turn to the book of Jonah. This is way in the back of the Old Testament. You have a series of books, real short books. there called the Minor Prophets, Obadiah. Jonah, Micah. If you get to Nahum, back you've gone a little bit too far. Most of your Bibles is just going to be a page, so it's going to be easy to miss. Um, I just want to encourage you, bring your Bible, bring whatever you study with. But I'm going to be teaching this series from the ESV, English Standard Version. The Bibles under your seat are the NIV. And so um, what we've done this week is we've actually taken and printed out a little sheet in your bulletin that has it in the ESV and has a little place for notes. And we're going to do this every week for you so that you can take notes as we move through it and you can have the actual translation. You can read along in the NIV. It's not going to be that hard for you to figure out where I am, but you're going to see that it's a little bit different of a translation. But throughout this series, I'm going to be teaching from the ESV. Okay? So, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The son of Amate. We see it's the same person I just read about in 2 Kings, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish for the, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Jaffa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! call out to your God, perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. I don't know about you, but when I read stories like Jonah, when I read stories of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, I often find my first response of being highly critical of them. I see their behavior and think, how could you be so dull? Right, so so you read the story of the Exodus. You all know that story, right? So we have we have God's chosen people, and they're in slavery. And then God brings those ten amazing plagues and a, a way of showing them that His His hand is with them. And then remember, they go, and then He He parts the Red Sea, and they go across on dry land. And then He brings the Red Sea back in, and He destroys the most powerful army in the world at that time. And then He get, like makes water come out of a rock, and He makes bread fall from the sky. And yet the people are like. like they have never even seen God. They don't know anything about God and they complain about God. And I read that story and I think, how is that possible? Because if I'd have been there, (laughs) yeah, if I'd have seen those things, I would never doubt God. If I'd have seen the Red Sea split, you know, I'd be believing on God. And so I have this critical spirit. I read the book of Jonah and I think, how could Jonah be so so dull? How could Jonah be the kind of person he is? And and kind of what I want you to hear here, hear here is... We read the stories of the patriarch and their journeys are there partly to show us how we are not to behave, but they're really in the scriptures to show us our own heart. When we read the story of of the Exodus, when we read the story of Jonah, when we read the story of David and and what he did with Bathsheba, the the purpose of those stories is to give us a window into our own soul. And the best thing you can say as you read those stories is not, how could they be so dull, is how am I just like them? God, show me how their behavior and my behavior are similar because that's really the the heart of it. God is trying to get at something that's in our stories. Our stories are really their stories. They're windows into our soul. And we need to glean what what God has for us as we move through the story. So we see this almost ridiculous response on the part of Jonah. It seems so out out of what we would think would be the right response. And we can get critical or we can say, God, how am I like Jonah? Because we are. Because Jonah's story is our story. Jonah's story is my story. Jonah's story is your story. One of the commentaries I read this week talking about Jonah. This is by Matthew Henry. He said, Jonah is best understood by those who are acquainted with their own heart. And with that, I want to pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be acquainted with our own hearts. I pray that you would show us ourselves in a way that maybe we've never seen before. Lord, I pray that you would take us to places internally that we've never been pray that you would peel back the layers of denial and show us our hearts so that we could be fully devoted followers of you. Lord, I thank you for your your scriptures that say that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it can do surgery, separating bone and marrow. Lord, I pray that you do surgery this morning and in the weeks ahead as we study through this amazing story of Jonah. Help us to be more familiar with our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Jonah, most of your translations that you're looking at probably starts with the word now. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But if you go back and you look at the book in the original Hebrew, the first word in the Hebrew language is the word and, A-N-D. You may even want to write that. If you take notes in your Bible, you may want to write it there on that sheet of paper I gave you. You may want to write it. And and the question we got to ask is, why did they change it from and to now? And I think probably they changed it because they were just trying to follow good grammar rules. Like you don't start a sentence with the word and. You probably don't start a whole story with the word and because everybody would be like, and what? Why do we start with and? But I actually like that it starts with and because it serves as a reminder that this story fits in the middle of a narrative. That there is this narrative of God pursuing his people, that God desiring to save his people through a chosen group of people, God is going to bring about salvation. And so when you read it and it starts with the word and, it's just a great reminder for us that this is part of a broader narrative. That it doesn't just happen alone, that it's part of something that God is writing. So the the passage actually says now, or and, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. One more little point of just just helping you out here is that when you see the the word Lord in your Bible or in the page that I gave you, and it's all caps, it's L-O-R-D in all caps, it's all caps there for a reason. So in the original Hebrew, whenever you see all caps, that's the word Yahweh. But the Jewish people don't speak the word Yahweh. So as they began to translate the word of God, because they knew they would be reading it out loud, they began to take, every time the word Yahweh was there, they would write the word Adonai, which is Lord, and then they would would capitalize it. So they wouldn't accidentally say the word of Lord because they, they made a rule, if you will, it's not in the Bible, but they made a rule that you couldn't say the name of God. It was taken from the commandments, don't take the Lord's name in vain. They never wanted to accidentally do it. So if you just never say his name, then you're not gonna take his name in vain. And so it just became a way of, doing it. But but what I want you to know is, as you're reading through the Old Testament, as you're reading through Jonah, every time you see L-O-R-D in capital letters, if you want to in your mind, you can just say Yahweh. So the first sentence of this is, "And and the word of Yahweh came to Jonah. It means God spoke to him. God actually speaks to Jonah. I think it's fascinating that that God says to Jonah, and there's nowhere in here where we see this inner dialogue of doubt, right? Jonah doesn't say, really? He doesn't say, God, did you actually say that? Jonah has this deep understanding or and, and ability to hear the voice of God in a way to have really no doubt about what God is saying. And the question that I would ask you is, is do we still have that ability? Does God still speak And can we hear God in such a way to be sure to say, that was God speaking to me? And this is an important question for us to answer. It's a great place for us to start because the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The question is, does the word of the Lord still come? Does Yahweh still speak to you and I? Jesus actually said in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Yahweh spoke to Jonah, and yeah, Yahweh still speaks. He speaks through the word of God. He speaks through the Holy Spirit in us, guiding. He speaks through other believers and the the voice that they have in our life. He speaks through our circumstances. God speaks in all kinds of ways. And the question is, are you learning to recognize the voice of God in your life? Are you learning to hear Yahweh when he speaks? Yahweh speaks to Jonah in verse two. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, the great, There's that word great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. He says, get up and go to Nineveh. It's kind of as if Jonah only gets it half right because he's a little obedient, right? He gets up. We can give him a little bit of credit. He does arise, but he goes in the opposite direction from Nineveh. And just so you know, Nineveh would have been, Instantly known by any of the the first readers of this. So a lot of scholars think that that Jonah actually wrote the book of Jonah. It's very possible he did. So so those that read it in those first century really after that would have known immediately what Nineveh, this is the capital city of, of Assyria. At the time of these events, Assyria hasn't really come into its own yet. They haven't become the superpower that they'll eventually become. They haven't rolled into Samaria. They haven't decimated Jerusalem. They haven't taken the people hostage yet, but they had become known as an evil people, and they have become known as enemies of the people of God. So at the time of of this going on, Jonah would have been hearing something that would have been pretty unsettling. What God is asking to do is a very hard thing, probably much harder than we first realize. We know from the text that Jonah hears, but he goes in the opposite direction. We also know later in the text that Jonah says, look, I didn't go to Nineveh because I didn't want you to be gracious to them. I knew you were a God full of grace, and I didn't want to go warn them because I didn't want them to repent because I wanted you to show your, your wrath on them. And I think, and this is a little bit hard to, to make a, a big case for, but I think that was just the words on Jonah's part. I'm not sure we can trust that that was really the only reason he didn't go because a big part of chapter one is this, this picture of fear. I think Jonah was afraid for his life because the passage says, go out and speak against Nineveh. Right? We don't have any words in there about how the people are going to respond. He's supposed to go. And, and what we have to realize is that's a good way to get yourself killed. Well, we need to maybe put it into perspective. Think about this. Think about 1935. And there's a Jewish man. And he lives in the relative safety of the America. Right? And God says to him, hey, I want you to go to Berlin. And I want you to call out against Hitler. That would create some fear in you, wouldn't it? That would create some, are you sure, God? Like, that's really what you want me to do? Chances are there might be even two things. I'm not sure I want those people to repent. Look at what they're doing to my people. Think about those concentration camps and and all the ugliness of what was going on. But I'm not sure it's very safe for me to stand in Berlin and call out Hitler. Maybe a a better analogy is think about 911. Maybe you had family or close friends that were in those towers that came down. And if you did, I'm really sorry for that. But we all can relate because it's so vivid in our minds of what happened there. But imagine shortly after that happens, the word of the Lord comes to you and says, I want you to go to Afghanistan, and I want you to call out against the Taliban. What would go through your mind? I'm not sure that's very safe. I'm not sure that's going to go well for me, God. And, And I'm not so sure I want those people to receive Your grace and your mercy. There was a lot of anger in us. So, and before we get too critical of Jonah, we just got to kind of put ourselves in in Jonah's shoes. And then what we have to realize is, is we run from much less difficult things than what Jonah's running from. So God says to us, hey, I want you to have a a good conversation with your friend. I want you to tell your friend about Jesus. Well, God, I'm not sure I want to do that. I don't want to look weird. I don't want to be perceived as, as different. So we, we don't even do that. Or God says, look, I want you to have a hard conversation with someone in your family. You say, I don't want to have that conversation. Or, or maybe God even says, look, I want you to forgive them. And you say, I, I can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they behaved. I, no, I'm not going to offer forgiveness. And so we run from the, the, the things that God has to do. Or maybe God even says to you, look, I know your marriage is hard. But I don't want you to stay, and I want you to love your wife the way I love the church, right? Or maybe you were here on the Sunday when Sonny and Sharita sat at this table right over here, and they talked about this church that they're planting down in Midtown, and some of you heard God say, I want you to be a part of that, and you're saying, but I like it at Grace. I like my Grace family. I like the music at Grace. I like coming to Grace. I don't want to go down there. So we run from all kinds of things. And I just, what I want to put on the table is that we have to be careful not to, to, to be judgmental of Jonah, but really to ask the question of ourselves. How are we like Jonah? What are we running from? God still speaks and God still asks us to do hard things. And when God asks you to do a hard thing, it is going to require trust and it is going to require faith to do those things. And I believe this, at one time or another, we are all guilty of running from God's call. And when we do, we will experience storms and we will experience difficulties. Look what the passage says. It says, God asked Jonah to do a hard thing. It says, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's an important phrase for you to hold on to. Here's what I want you to know. Jonah had good theology. He understood theology. He's read through the Psalms. He knows the Psalms. So he's read Psalm 139. It says what? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Jonah's about to go try to settle on the far side of the sea. Even there, your hand will guide me. So he knows Jonah knows that he can't really run away from God, that God is everywhere. So what is he trying to do? If he knows that in his theology, he's trying to get away from the presence of God, the felt presence of God. He doesn't want to be in God's face. He doesn't want to think about what God is asking him to do. He's going to do anything he can to drown out the voice of God in his life. He knows that God is still there, but he's trying to shut out his understanding of it. So the passage says that he goes down from Jerusalem. I love this because the writer is making a point. Not only does he geographically go down to the sea, he leaves the Temple Mount where the temple is in the presence of God, and he heads down to the sea. But then it says when he gets to the ship, he heads down even further into the depth of the, of the ship. And the writer is actually making this literary statement. He's saying, look, not only is he physically going down, he is emotionally and spiritually moving into darker and darker places. There's a huge application for us here. When we run from God, when we we refuse to hear the voice of God in our lives, we'll do anything we can to drown out the felt presence of God because it reminds us of that thing that God is asking us to do. And we will go down to dark, dark places. When we willingly disobey God We run from his presence. Our kids do this. When your kids misbehave and and you realize they're they're kind of avoiding you for some reason, sometimes you know before you even know, and you're like, what'd you do? Here's something even more crazy. Our pets do this. (laughs) Right? This is a picture of my dog. This is actually Casey's dog. He's cute, right? Don't let that face fool you. He's a monster. When we leave the house, this dog will immediately go to the kitchen table or the kitchen countertops, and he will climb up as far as he can get, and he will take whatever he can get his grubby little paws on, and he'll eat it. He's eaten loaves of breads. He's eaten dozens and one sitting of cupcakes. He's eaten steaks. He's eaten blocks of cheese. This dog has eaten everything. Now, you would say, why do you keep leaving stuff on a counter? But we're... we're I don't know, because you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I guess. We keep making that mistake. But anyway, you come home from the... If you have a dog, you know where I'm going, right? We walk into the house, and if the dog's not there to greet us, someone will say, Oswald, what did you do? Why? Because he's fleeing from our presence. He knows he's in trouble and he's going to do whatever. So he's cowering upstairs. He's cowering beyond the couch. He's somewhere. We are just like that. When we know that we're doing something we shouldn't do, when we know that we're running from God, we will do anything we can to get away from the felt presence of God. So I don't want to go to church this week. I don't want to hang out with people that are doing that Jesus thing because they just remind me I don't want to read the word of God. Because it's all a reminder. So you'll stop doing the things that you need to do to hold on to the presence of God because you don't want the presence of God because it's just a reminder of that thing that you're running from. When we refuse to do the things God is asking us to do, we will find ourselves going down into dark places. Just like Jonah, deeper, deeper into places we shouldn't be. We'll do anything to drown out the voice of God sometimes even turn into things like alcohol or drugs or sex or Facebook or music or work or sports or hobbies or food or entertainment. We will take things that are good gifts from God and we will twist them around and we'll use them as a way of dulling our senses and hiding ourselves from the felt presence of God, things that are even necessary in our lives, we can abuse them and make them idols in our lives. Just like Adam and Eve, we hide from the presence of God because we know we've been disobedient. And God comes looking for us. He pursues us. And He starts with a gentle word, where are you? And if we respond, we can avoid some of the trials. But I can tell you, the longer you resist the voice of God, the more He turns it up and he eventually will rock the boat. And that's what he does for Jonah. So look at verse four. It says, and the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship was threatened to break up. Yahweh hurls a great wind. The world hurls there is the same exact word we'd use to throw a ball, to throw a rock, God throws the wind at the ship. I love that picture because it's just a reminder. It's just not any storm. God is literally throwing the wind at the ship to get Jonah's attention. He is doing whatever he has to do. And it says a mighty tempest came up in the King James. It actually says a continual whirlwind was around him. How many of you are in a continual whirlwind? How many of you can feel the wind being thrown against you? How many of you boats are being rocked and God is doing it to get your attention this isn't about God's punishment remember whenever God does something like this it's out of love God is doing this to get his attention to call him back to the very thing that he needs to do God is doing whatever it takes to get Jonah's attention I don't know about you but at this point in the story I began to feel sorry for the sailors because really they didn't do anything to deserve this They just put this passenger on their boat and they're just going across. God is hurling the wind at their ship. They are caught in the crossfire of this storm. Now we'll see as we continue to study that this actually works out for their benefit because they get to hear about this God Yahweh. But right now they're just stuck in a nasty storm as innocent bystanders to this story. So far we've seen, God still speaks. He asks us to do hard things. When we are are asked to do those hard things, it's going to require trust. It's going to require faith to do it. But if we refuse to do it, we will find ourselves running from the felt presence of God, doing anything we can to keep our sense of God numb. And when we run from God, he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. God is a pursuing God. That is a theme that lays over the book of Jonah. We find ourselves in a continual whirlwind. And here's the deal. Not only do we suffer, but the people around us suffer as well. I want to make sure I clarify one thing. All storms are not because of disobedience. All storms are not because of disobedience, but can I tell you, you probably know when they are. And you can deceive yourself. But one of the great indicators of whether or not this is, this is out of disobedience is are you fleeing from the presence of God? Are you running to the presence of God to get you through that storm? Or in the midst of the storm, are you saying, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read the word of God. I don't want to hang out with godly people. I don't want any of that because that's a reminder. So, so pay attention. All storms are not out of disobedience, but you know when they are. The key is, are you hiding from the presence of God? Look at verse 5. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. There you have that language of going further and further down. Inner part of the ship had lain down and was fast asleep. And the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call on your God. The storm is intended to wake Jonah up from his sleep. I think it's fascinating that, that you have in this story these pagans who know what they need to do. They don't even know who God is, but they know their only hope is God. And so they cry out to whatever God they know of, whatever God has been explained to them. And it says each cried out to their own God. And then the best advice of the entire book comes from a pagan who goes downstairs and says to Jonah, wake up and cry out to your God, and maybe he will see us and we will be spared. The storm is sent to wake Jonah up. Ephesians 5.14 says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God still speaks. God still asks us to do hard things. When he asks us to do a hard thing, it will require trust. It will require faith to do it. And when you refuse to do it, you will run from God and do whatever you can to numb your senses from the presence of God. And when you do that, God will send the storms to get your attention. And the people around you will feel the effects of the storm. The only relief, don't miss this, the only relief, the only hope that you have is to cry out to God. He is the only one that can calm the storm because he sent the storm. Remember that story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples and Jesus is fast asleep and the storm is raging and it says all the disciples feared for their life. They were so afraid of the storm they thought they were going to perish and they go and they wake Jesus up. There's some similarities to these stories. What did Jesus do? He got up and he said a word and the storm ceased. It's an image for us, what to do in the midst of the storm. Turn your heart back to God, cry out to God and say, God, I need you in this this moment. Lord, I'm sorry I ran from you. I need you and allow God to calm the storm. It's the only hope that we have. I think one of the reasons I love the book of Jonah is because it really is uh, my story. Sometimes when I share my testimony, I start with, I really have a Jonah sort of story. When I was 17 years old, God told me he wanted me to be a pastor. And I said, no. Actually, um, just to be honest with you, I really didn't like the church. I really didn't like church people. Sorry if that offends you as I stand in church and talk about it. But the truth is, I saw a lot of people who talked the talk and really didn't walk the walk It was just a lot of show and not a lot of go. And even as a 17 year old, I just found it ridiculous. And so I ran. And the truth be known, I ran because I was rebellious. I ran because I wanted what I wanted and I didn't want what God wanted. And for 15 years, I ran and I ran hard. But here's what I could tell you, at any moment, if you'd have gotten me in a vulnerable moment and you'd asked me, I would tell you, God has told me what I'm supposed to do with my life. God told me I was supposed to be a pastor. I never questioned whether or not that was God who spoke to me. I knew that God had told me to be a pastor. I just flat out wasn't gonna do it. In that same season of time, I met Meg, I married Meg. We started to have kids. I started a business and it was tough. And God wasn't gonna bless my marriage and God wasn't gonna bless my my children and my relationship with my children. He certainly wasn't gonna bless my business as long as I was running from him. And so he sent the storm, and it was a storm. Meg and I were miserable. Our marriage was terrible. And then one day, Meg was driving down Morass and she saw a church in the corner of Morass and I-94, and she saw people walking into the church. And in her desperation, the fallout she was feeling from the storm that I'd created, in her desperation, she said, I'm going to go to that church next week. And she came in this church, and she found Christ. And then she began, yeah, you can clap for that. But here's the annoying part. She started coming home and telling me about him, which would make me mad. Why? Because I was fleeing from the presence of God. And now he'd come into my house, and my wife was telling me about him. I'm like, this is horrible. I can't get away from this thing. Well, she wore me down as any good wife can, and eventually I came to grace with her. And I remember walking through the doors and hearing God say, welcome home. God sent that storm, but he sent that storm to not, there was an element of, of discipline in it, but it was out of God's love. Do you see that? That God was so actively pursuing. For 15 years, I was running from it, and he never stopped chasing after me. That's what this story's about. That's what we're gonna see in Jonah. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of forgiveness. And he's pursuing you and saying, cry out to me cry out to me turn away from those things that you're using to numb yourself and cry out to me and I will calm the storms look God's done an amazing thing I mean there is not a Sunday that I don't sit over there and think to myself how in the world did God do this how is it possible that I get to lead in this context after all I did against God God is a God of mercy God is a God of grace and he's calling you back That was over 21 years ago, and God has shown me over and over that if I just seek his presence, if I just hear and obey something we talk about all the time, hear and obey that that God is going to bless me, that God is going to walk with me, that there's going to be this new sense of God's presence in my life. God has restored my marriage. I have a great marriage. God has given me a great relationship with my kids. So Jonah's story is my story, but what I want you to hear is that Jonah's story is your story. And that there's something for us to glean from this story about turning our hearts back towards God. And as we go through this over the next few weeks, I just, I wanted to stir deep places. So the band's gonna come and we're gonna do another song, but as they're, as they're coming up, I just wanna kind of walk through a few questions and I'd love for you to hang on to these questions. So band, if you wanna come, that's great. But I'd ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to sort of, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you in the quietness of your own heart to kind of repeat this prayer back to God. Lord, I pray that you would show me what you want me to see this morning and the weeks ahead. Lord, I pray that you would give me insight into my own heart. Yahweh, I ask that you would speak to me. In the same way you spoke to Jonah, would you speak to me? Would you make it clear? Even in these next few minutes, in these next few weeks, Lord, would you continue to speak to me? God, where am I running from you? Show me. Show me where I'm hiding. God, what are the things that I cling to to dull my senses? Show me the worthless idols of my life. God, I pray that you would just show me what you're calling me to do. Any areas of disobedience in my life, show me. Lord, as we sing the song, I pray that you would move in our hearts that we would literally call upon the name of the Lord, the only name that saves. Through every trial, through every storm, through every difficulty, we have but one solution. You alone have the answers to eternal life, Lord, that we would turn to you, that we would cry out to you for mercy, that we would feel your presence. Lord, I pray even this morning that you would begin to calm the storms of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing. My encouragement to you is sing it as an anthem.